Good morning, friends. Let's take a minute right now as we're in this place of honoring Jesus just to prepare our hearts for a moment, just to prepare to receive his word. He is with us. He is speaking to us, and I want him to continue to feel like uh, we are honoring him as he speaks. So let's just prepare our hearts for a moment here this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are good, and Jesus, we know that you are present with us right now. So we set aside every distraction, we put aside every other thought that wants to filter its way into our minds, and and we just say, Lord, be Lord of our thoughts, be Lord of our emotions, be Master and Savior in our households right where we are, in this household right where we gather. You are good, Lord, and everything you want to share with us is good. So we settle and set our hearts on you today, Lord, right now. Holy Spirit, come and have your will and your way in us and through us as you pour out God's love to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Brianna. Well, friends, we are continuing on our current sermon series about the game of life, and we're looking at the rules that God put into place to help create a trustworthy world, and that's important. These rules that we've been studying are called the Ten Commandments. Some of you may be very familiar with that already. You may even have them memorized in order. But Jesus himself took those Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that are in the Law and the Prophets, and he synthesized them down into just two to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty easy to simplify it that way. It's even pretty easy to say it or memorize that, but as we all know, it's not the saying of these things that gets us into trouble. It's the doing, yeah? It's the doing that's the challenge. And for one really simple reason, we are all rule breakers, And none of us likes being told what to do. Hey, it's just true. And if you question that or if you wonder about that, take a trip out on the freeway sometime. (laughs) You know, there's this little white sign on the side of the road. It says speed limit on it. And on some roads it says 55, some it says 40, some it says 65. Whatever that is, that is the speed limit. That is the law. That is the rule. But in many years of driving, I've seen that the majority of people don't seem to think that that's really the rule. In fact, what we prefer is to set our own rule. And that rule goes like this. Whatever speed it is that I am driving, that is the right speed. If you are driving slower than I am driving, You are in the way and obviously are too fearful to be operating a motor vehicle on the highway. And if you are driving faster than I am driving, clearly you are a speed demon. That's called establishing your own rule. And we're happy to do that. But we trouble, we get into trouble when we start looking at the reality that there are rules that apply to us whether we like it or not, even when they're for our own good. However, 
in the game of life, if we don't agree to some rules together, some basic ways of functioning together, nobody can play the game. The whole game is ruined and everybody loses. So today, we're continuing on this game of life and we're looking at perhaps the most fundamental rule that ties into the game of life. And it comes to us from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Pretty fundamental rule in the game of life is to stay alive and to not prevent others from staying alive. Yes, simple, straightforward. And there aren't a whole lot of games, I think, that we could think of that have to do with taking somebody else's life. Now, if you go back in history, that has not always been the case. If we go back to the time of Jesus, as a matter of fact, there were things called gladiatorial games, where the whole point of the game was to get into an arena and kill everybody else and come out of there as the only one left alive. This was called winning the game. Now, for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with history, maybe you are a little bit more familiar with pop culture and know it was about a decade back that there was a series of movies that came from a series of books called The Hunger Games. Yes? The Hunger Games were all about putting a group of people into an arena, and the last one who comes out is the winner. And you win by making sure that nobody else comes out of it alive. So let's start this way today. Raise your hand if you've murdered anyone lately. I'm seeing no hands in the room. I don't know about the hands at home, but I'm going to trust that there aren't a lot of hands going up right now. So, nobody here has committed murder lately. Great. Guess we can check this one off the list and just move on, right? If only it were that simple. But it's not, of course. One of the earliest stories in the Bible helps us understand this a bit. It's the story of two brothers. Two brothers named Cain and Abel. As a matter of fact, they are the very first siblings in the Bible. They are the children of Adam and Eve, the first two people in the Bible. Cain was born first, and Cain was a farmer. Abel was born second, and Abel was a shepherd. And each of them was expected to come and bring an offering before the Lord. Cain brought his offering. Abel brought his offering. God approved of Abel's offering, disapproved of Cain's offering, and that's where the trouble begins. And we pick it up real briefly here in chapter 4 of the book of Genesis. I'll just read these few verses, starting at verse 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. 
First story, first family, first sibling rivalry. And it would be easy to just reduce this story to a story about murder, right? To a story about killing one person. But if we read the story, we automatically can see that there's more to it than that. The interaction that happens here between Cain and God reveals a lot, doesn't it? God, who knows everything, asks Cain a rhetorical question. Where is your brother? Cain's response starts with a lie, I don't know, and continues on with a statement. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to look after my brother? Am I responsible for taking care of him and protecting him from all the things that could happen? Is that what I'm supposed to do? A question back to God. And God's response makes it pretty clear. Cain was to be his brother's keeper. That word keeper is a word in Hebrew. It comes from the Hebrew, the Hebrew word shamar. And shamar means to guard, to watch over, to protect, to defend. As a matter of fact, it's part of what the job description would be for a shepherd. Shepherds are called to do this for their flock, to take care of the animals. Isn't it ironic that the first murder recorded in history is the murder of a shepherd? One who was called to take care of the animals and a brother who was not his keeper. That's where we get started. So when God gives his command, you shall not murder to his people, there is more at stake than just survival. There's more to it than that. In fact, Jesus himself had much more to say about this as it related to loving God and loving our neighbor. And I want to go there in the Gospels with you today. So if you brought your Bible with you, you're welcome to open it up to Matthew chapter 5. If you're watching at home, please have your Bible handy nearby, whether you've got it in a book form or whether you've got it on your tablet or on your phone, however it is that you have it. Open it up this morning so that we can look at God's Word together. From Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. These are the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. You have heard it said... But I tell you. This is the first of six times in order that Jesus says this phrase. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Let's take a moment to just let that sink in. Jesus, 
is talking about the words of Moses. He's speaking about the commands given by God to God's people. And he says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. This is no average man. This is no common teacher. Jesus is making it clear that he has the final word on the word of God because he is the word of God. Jesus is the ultimate interpreter of God's commands. And in this case, it is clear that there is much more that Jesus wants us to understand when it comes to defending life and loving our neighbors. When we encounter God in the word and when we see Jesus speaking in this way, it should give us pause. It should remind us who we are dealing with. God in the flesh, the living word, who interprets and defines what we are to understand about the entire word. And Jesus raises the ante on murder. And I would summarize it this way. Murder begins in the heart. Murder begins in the heart. It's not just a matter of an action of your hand. In fact, God scolds Cain for that very reason. Now the work of your hand that you're trying to get out of the ground isn't going to work because you killed Abel with your own hand. And it was out of what was in your heart. Anger, malice, contempt, jealousy, offense. These all express attitudes of the heart that destroy relationships and can lead to the destruction of life itself. Jesus raises the ante. You think you're doing a good job by not killing your neighbor? There's a little more to it than that. He says, if you are calling your brother a fool, if you are speaking in his native Aramaic, the word racha, we're not 100% sure what that word means, but as we have tried to study and explore and understand more, we think it is linked to another word, which in Aramaic means to spit. Basically, to spit on someone. Can you imagine something that shows more offense or more contempt to somebody else than to spit in their face? This is from the heart. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Where is your heart in relationship to your neighbor? Because it's not enough to just say, well, I'll not harm them. That's a start, but it way misses the point if we don't address the issues of the heart. And Jesus always addresses the issues of the heart. And he speaks right to it here. That when we give room for these attitudes of anger and malice and contempt and jealousy and offense, when we give room for those in our hearts and allow them to sit there undealt with and fester, they will inevitably boil over into murderous thoughts that may even become murderous actions. 
And all of that will undermine God's design for a trustworthy world, which is his hope. More than just not allowing death, but speaking into life. Martin Luther puts it this way in his response to the fifth commandment in the small catechism. We are to fear and love God so that we neither endanger nor harm the lives of our neighbors, but instead help and support them in all of life's needs. There is a positive action that is meant to come from this, and it can only happen if our hearts have been dealt with. If the thoughts and motivations inside of our hearts have been dealt with. We fear and love God so that we not only don't cause harm, but we offer help and aid. This is what's necessary. Without understanding both, our world and our neighborhoods quickly break down. And I think we're witnessing an awful lot of it right now. When I was growing up, my parents knew personally every one of our next door neighbors. They got together socially. You knew that if you were over at somebody else's house, the mom of the house might as well be speaking for your mom. The friends that I played with under most circumstances were people who were known by my parents. And we lived in that kind of community. Now, it didn't mean that we always got along. Sure, occasionally there'd be a sideways comment about the fact that, boy, if our neighbors had only raked their leaves a little bit earlier, it wouldn't have blown all over into our yard, then we'd have to deal with it. And besides, it came from their trees. But there was an assumption of goodwill to start with. There was a starting place that said, hey, ultimately, these are my neighbors, and it's my responsibility to care for them and to expect and assume the best of them. It doesn't feel that way today. And I confess oftentimes, it hasn't felt that way in my own life. We had some new neighbors who moved in. Right next door, right after everything started to close down. So we really had very little opportunity to get to meet and know these neighbors. But we would see them occasionally just out through the window as they were moving in and moving some stuff around. We could tell that they were black. And we could tell that there was quite a few different folks who were moving in and out. So we weren't quite sure how the household was structured. But my wife and I thought, hey, there are new neighbors. As they're moving in, let's do what neighbors do. We'll bake some cookies. We'll drop them off next door with a little note just saying, hi, we're the Vicks. We're your next door neighbors. We'd love to get a chance to meet you. So that's what we did, and, and we did it during a time that they were doing some renovations in their house, so we didn't even actually get to see them. We saw some of the workers who were there and said, hey, these cookies are for them. <laughs> we, we made sure that there was enough for others to enjoy, too. But we left it there, and we, we kind of left it at that. We weren't sure the next time we were going to have a chance to interact. Well, sure enough, a, a week or two later, I was out in the front yard trying to get some stuff done, and, and, and a neighbor starts coming across the sidewalk over to me. Black man comes over, introduces himself. We're both there wearing our masks. <laughs> so he's at a distance and says, hi, introduces himself. His name is Abdi. Abdi is a part of a family that's all working to make things work in this house. And Abdi and his family are from Kenya. And some of 
Abdi's family has been here for a few years, including Abdi. Others are only just recently starting to make their way here. And so they've got a large family, and it's a large house that can house a lot of different family members, which is great. He was talking to me about the fact that his family's trying to work out some things with some family back in Kenya so that they can come over, and it takes time to work through some of these things, but, but they're excited to be here looking for a better life for their family. And then he says, by the way, part of the reason I wanted to come over was not only to, to thank you for the, for the cookies and to introduce myself, but I've got a little problem that I'm hoping you might be able to help me with. Well, sure, what's the problem? Well, we don't have snakes in Kenya. But there seems to be an awful lot of these little snakes that are showing up around our house and in the neighborhood. My mother is terrified. She's decided she's not coming out of the house until these snakes are dealt with. Can you tell us anything about these snakes or what you think we should do? We smiled, my wife and I talked to each other for a minute and said, well, okay, first of all, they're garter snakes, okay? So they're not going to hurt you. They're not venomous. But, sure, they can be a nuisance. And... If, if your mother's concerned about it, well, the, the best thought I would have is to, is to call one of the pest control places. Mention to her that, well, you know what, we've got, we've got rats. Not rats. We don't have rats. Okay, we had mice. We had mice. Mice. Much, much smaller rats. We had mice. <laughs> and we had, we had to deal with the mice. And we're like, okay, they're getting their way into our house. We'll deal with this. So I just made the suggestion. I'm like, I don't know what you do when you have snakes that are showing up. <laughs> around your house or in your house or too much. I know that keeping a few of them around would be all right because that will also take care of the mice. But I just said, hey, that would be my best recommendation. He just said, oh, thanks. I, I appreciate it. And I just said, hey, no problem. I said, hey, if you ever need anything, you know, if you're, you, just stop on over. Just say, hey, we're, we're here, happy to help any way that we can. Just being neighborly. Trying to take an intentional step with our new neighbors. Now, our new neighbors don't look like us. Their family isn't structured the same way that my family is structured. Their faith isn't the same faith. But if I start from a place of thinking that they are my enemy, or that I must protect myself from them, I will start down a journey that will lead to thoughts in my heart that do not honor God, do not honor this commandment. I want my neighbors to know that if they need a cup of sugar, they can come over and knock on the door. And I'd like to be able to do the same. It's necessary if we're going to have a trustworthy world. Now, what do we do with all this? <laughs> It'd be really easy at this point for me to give you a long list of things that you should do and, gee, why don't you do more like Pastor Darren and, and, and then we'll, you'll all be better and we'll all be good and that'll be... That's not what this is about. If we leave it there, all I've done is give you another list of things to do and another list of things for me to do and I'll fail and you'll fail and we'll be left right where we are right now. That's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus' perspective on this is so critical. We have to look into the heart of Jesus. And what did Jesus exemplify in his life and ministry? Well, Jesus took a positive stand for life. 
Jesus looked at the lives of people around him and saw them as people of great worth and great value. And not only that, Jesus went out of his way in that time to be sure and speak and stand up for those people who don't have as much of a voice. Those who were the most vulnerable. Those who were the most apt to be abused or harmed. Jesus went out of his way to do that because that's the heart that God expresses. All life matters, for sure, without a doubt. But Jesus exemplifies in his life and ministry speaking for those who are often the ones who are left out, who are left aside, who are less valued. In Jesus' time, most specifically, that was children and women and Samaritans who were those other people who weren't like us. We can speak today across the board and say, hey, yes, there's a lot of different things that we can be talking about when it comes to honoring life. And whether we're talking about life in the womb or whether we are talking about life downtown and and the kinds of, of injustices that we have seen perpetrated in our nation, whatever it is, whatever your perspective on that is, it's not a political issue. It's a Jesus issue about honoring life. And in John 10, Jesus speaks at great length about what it means to be a shepherd and to care for the sheep. And in the midst of this story, he offers us truth and grace when he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other translations, it says abundant life. I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. It's Jesus' desire for all of his creation that they would have life. And he knows that there are powers that are at work amongst us, around us, and most importantly within us that steal and kill and destroy life. Jesus comes to deal with our heart. He comes to deal with our brokenness. He comes to deal with our attitude towards the world around us. He comes to deal with the fact that we don't like to be told what to do and that we're rule breakers. And Jesus comes to be that perfect fulfillment of the law. And he does it as a shepherd. The full life of Jesus that he desires for us and for our neighbors can only come through him. Through what he has done for us. And friends, the murder of one shepherd at the beginning of Genesis left a legacy of murder in our hearts. But the death of the good shepherd, Jesus, leaves a legacy of life for all who put their trust in him. For all who are willing to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I know I don't live up to this standard I don't live up to this commandment in my own heart. I have thought evil about other people. I have held murderous thoughts in my mind. What can I do? I can't fix this. 
And that's where Jesus says, come, little lamb. Come. Know that I am the one who has laid his life down for the sheep. And that's for you. So that you might have life and have it in abundance. The abundant life that Jesus has promised us is only able to be shared through us when we submit ourselves to the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit. When we confess our sins and receive his forgiveness, which I need every day and in every way, he comes and he breathes life onto us. Just like God breathed life into Adam and Eve, Jesus breathed life into his disciples and his spirit continues to breathe life into you and to me, abundant life, real life, full life, eternal life. And from that place of Jesus' life at work within us, we then are able to love our neighbors, to seek life for them, a full life, a life of the love of God poured out for them. This is his work for us and his life in us. So let's pray now that this life would be at work fully in us today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today as lawbreakers, as rule breakers, Lord, every one of us, every one of us who has failed to live up to any of these commandments, Lord. And as soon as we try to say that we have figured it out on our own or pat ourselves on the back for not killing someone, Jesus, you point out the fact that that, that murder resides in our heart before it goes anyplace else. That those thoughts of evil towards others, of harm towards others, of contempt and jealousy and offense, all of those places in our hearts, Lord, are a result of the sin that, that we embrace all too easily. Father, it is my desire, Lord, that not only those of us who are here today and listening, but anyone, Lord, who is hearing these words today and saying, I want that kind of life. I want the life that Jesus offers. Not the, not the life that is offered by anything else in this world, but the life that Jesus has offered Lord, I pray that that person or persons would bow their heart before you right now, would humble themselves to receive your grace, just as each and every one of us need to today, to confess our failures, to acknowledge that we are broken, to recognize the sin within our own hearts, and then to come to you, Jesus, and say, where can we go? Oh, good shepherd, Thank you for shepherding us today in this moment through your word. Thank you for the promise of life that you have offered to us. May we open our hearts to receive it as we receive your Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out. Lord, I pray also that anyone today, Lord, who is harboring something in their heart today, Lord, and and thinks that they can just move on with a relationship with you apart from dealing with this, Lord. Oh, Jesus. 
through your Holy Spirit, would you lovingly turn them towards you that they would then turn towards their neighbor and seek reconciliation there first before they return back to you, Jesus, and say, thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing in me. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness that you have offered. May I offer that to my neighbors as well because of your grace, because of your love, because of your perfect sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for this holy moment that we have right now. We love you and we praise you. We thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen.